Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. As the world's seventh largest retailer, Carrefour is using advanced analytics to transform operations, better serve customers, and pioneer the future of retail. Chief Data and Analytics Officer Sebastian Hosannes explains how the company is leveraging data and generative AI to drive measurable business value across merchandising, supply chain, marketing, and more. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Sebastian, welcome to the Data Chief. Thank you very much for hosting me to the show. Where are you joining us from today? So I'm joining you from Paris, France, where uh, I'm I'm based with uh, my company, Carrefour. Yeah. Oh, such a beautiful city. I know big data. Paris is coming up. And, you know, sometimes when people warm up on a podcast, they'll they'll do, do a tech check and say, what did you have for breakfast? I feel like I have to ask you that because one of my favorite breakfasts is French. So what did you have for breakfast, Sebastian? So it, it might be a, a bit uh, of a surprise for you, but no, uh, actually, uh, I had a French baguette uh, with, uh, with a coffee this morning, uh, like every morning. Uh, and, I mem- and one of the pleasure I have well, since I moved back to Paris a few years ago is to have the pleasure of eating French baguette every morning. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Fresh. Always has to be fresh from that day. Never a day old. So I would say that's one of my favorites. My second favorite is pain au chocolat. But what you get in the States, it just does not compare. It's too much chocolate. They don't get the pastry right, but the best is in Paris, isn't it? So that's my point of view as well. Uh, <laughs> that's also where, where, it was, where, where it was born. So uh, like uh, you take the original and uh, you do, uh, uh, when, when you are in Paris, you do like the Parisian. So when, like, when you are in Rome, you do like the Romans. Absolutely. So Sebastian, you're the, you're the CDAO of Carrefour. For those outside of Europe who might not know uh, this company, tell us a little bit about it. Yes, uh, Carrefour is a, is a global retailer uh, grocery, uh, in grocery shopping uh, primarily. You know, we, we sell uh, essentially f- uh, food, fresh food, and, and uh, also we have um, historically been a, a big player in the, in the non-food items. It's uh, headquartered in Paris, but it's a very global corporation. Uh, we have uh, 43 countries in which we operate, nine core countries in which we have our own stores, and 35 where we operate under a franchise agreement with a local retailer. Uh, so they use a Carrefour brand, they use a Carrefour product, the assortment, a number of technologies that we provide them with, but then they operate their, their own uh, business locally with uh, hypermarkets, supermarkets, and some uh, more local proxy stores. Yeah, so truly global. I know in some countries for Carrefour Group, like Brazil, I think also in financial services, banking. So quite broad, right? 
You're right. Absolutely. So we, we also have like size services, uh, uh, of course, financial services. So we own a bank attached to Carrefour. We have a credit card uh, to, uh, that operates uh, also like a, a full-fledged bank. Uh, we also have like a travels uh, as a, or, and even a car rental. So there are a number of side services that are relatively smaller businesses uh, compared to the core, uh, but are also augmenting the offering. So basically, when you go to a Carrefour uh, store, you get kind of an uh, end-to-end experience for everything basically that you can buy as a, as a customer. Yeah, thank you. So Sebastian, you know, recently I was at the MIT CDO Forum in Boston met with many global CDAOs. And I would say those that were in a happy place were in the minority. (laughs) And those that were just really, really struggling with the role and getting stuff done and having the buy-in of the leadership team was hard and in the majority. You have been there now just over a year and a half and you are living the dream in reporting to the CEO. Tell us a little bit about how that reporting line happened. Was it part of the hiring process or did Carrefour know this is what we have to do to be successful? What do you think the impact of that is versus, let's say, some of your peers in the industry who maybe are still residing within IT or what have you? So one thing I need to correct is that I'm, uh, the, the data that they report into the digital team, to the, digi- the, the ex- executive committee member is uh, covering digital, which covers at Carrefour e-commerce, data and technology, essentially. Uh, so yes, uh, it's, uh, it's a highly uh, positioned role in the organization, but though not reporting directly to the CEO in my organization. However, uh, so the big push that has happened at Carrefour is that we, uh, we created this role at a at global scale uh, recently. Uh, historically, uh, data was attached to our country operations, uh, where uh, it was heavily dependent on uh, basically on, on the mandate of, uh, of the CEO of the country to define whether or not data were, and analytics was a priority. We made it a global priority. We, made, we gave a global steer to uh, the strategy, to the funding. Uh, we also uh, increased the, the scale of the investment uh, to uh, to push down the, to the countries, to the operations, a number of innovations that are truly transforming the way we operate from uh, uh, much better forecasting, much better uh, uh, allocation of investment in marketing, uh, and also pushing innovations around the generative AI that we might want to talk about today. Yes. Uh, and all of that uh, is because we have this global scale that enables to have this, 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 this kind of high-level investment that, that can be justified uh, at at group and global even, and might be, you know, often in many companies, more challenging to, to get when you are uh, stranded in one of the countries with uh, limited investment uh, potential. Okay, so thanks for clarifying that reporting line. Um, but for sure that the goals of creating a digital and data-driven organization came from the top down rather than more from, yeah. from the bottom up. Wonderful. Yes, absolutely. And now you've been there just over a year and a half, but you've been in the industry for a very long time, working with some of, I would say, just the world-class strategic consulting firms. Tell us a little bit about your experiences there and how this cross-industry focus informs your work now at Carrefour. Yes. 
I view myself and my role is very well positioned as a business role at Carrefour, meaning that, uh, you know, I, I've loved tech since I was a kid. Uh, I've, you know, when, when, whenever in high school, uh, my goal was to become a computer engineer. I realized quite uh, rapidly as I concluded my studies, co completed a few internships, uh, that I love, as much as I love, you know, technology, uh, I, I would not spend, you know, the, my entire day behind a screen coding. Uh, that was not my thing, just right. not my thing. So I rapidly tried to find a path to cross my passion for technology, for mathematics with, with business. And uh, that led me to, uh, to a career uh, cro crossing these two things in essentially in two areas, uh, in management and strategy consulting and in venture capital for part of my career. Uh, starting my career in France, but very rapidly I moved to the U.S., to uh, complete my MBA at the Wharton School in Philadelphia. Uh, loved the experience staying in North America for a total of 11 years until I came back to Paris in 2018, so almost five years ago. The last 10 years before I, I, I joined Carrefour, uh, I was with the, the Boston Consulting Group, a uh, global advisory firm, uh, essentially on, uh, working with top executives to drive their digital and tech and data transformation. So, you know, in a way, I've, I've been in no, a number of times in situations where I advised uh, senior executive CEOs in building data and digital bodies, data, data and digital functions, uh, even, you know, onboarding several new roles. You know, over the last five years, you might have observed that uh, the role of CDO, CDAO, uh, and also chief digital officer has been progressively created in most big organizations, yes. so onboarding them, make, making them effective in their role uh, and setting up their organization. Uh, and, you know, after I've done that, as, when I got this opportunity to join one of the, of, of the European retail giant to, to build up this function myself and not being just the advisor, uh, I took it. And that's, that's what led me to, uh, to this role at Carrefour to, uh, to build up um, a global data body, but also an, an analytics function that would scale up massively versus what we have, what we had uh, just 18 months ago, and we are just, I would say, uh, still on the on the growth path to expand the team to to uh, build up uh, tech assets, analytics assets, machine learning models that we can build once, develop, and deploy everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and hence uh, the major challenge that I, I took, and uh, and I'm. Really delighted to have this opportunity every day to uh, to be in a, in a firm where data is at the core of the strategy. Changing mindsets also requires training. So, what has been the approach to reskilling, upskilling, training, improving data literacy for the organization? As you mentioned at the beginning, uh, at the CEO level, uh, it, uh, there has been some specific targets set around building skills on data. Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, like 18 months ago, our CEO announced to the investors that we will build up a team of 3,000 data experts in the organization. I'm reporting on it every quarter to investors uh, on how we are uh, shaping this uh, this team, either you know, by recruiting talents, either by training talents in the business to become just much more than category manager, much more than, than, than a financial analyst or a financial controller to be data experts in their activity. Uh, so it's a, it's a KPI, one of the few KPIs we are reporting on every quarter. So it sets a very high bar to make sure that we train, 
we equip people with the right tools and we, we make it like one of the top in the top um, reporting items for Carrefour to our investors. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, I want to come back, though, if I may, for a moment. I want to stay on your journey because as I'm hearing you describe this, I'm thinking about some of the CDAOs or CDOs in transition or some who are, are thinking about going up the next level, um, maybe from an analytics leader or supply chain analytics leader to the CDAO role. And I, I think back for myself even when I went from being an implementer at Dow to a consultant, and I was going, when I was joining Gartner, a great advisor of mine, mentor of mine said, oh gosh, Cindy, the only person worse than a consultant is an industry analyst. Like consultants give advice all day long and they never have to live with the consequences. And an industry analyst like just tells you what's possible, but are, are not as grounded in reality. I guess I'm just curious now you're going from having given advice, you actually have to put that in practice and live with the consequences. How has this transition been for you? Yeah, indeed. That, for me, that was a major uh, transition that I had to undergo as I joined Carrefour. It's also one of the main reasons why I, I took the job is to get this opportunity to go beyond setting the roadmap, beyond you know start doing the startup of the of the role of a digital body of a data body in a, in an organization. Uh, so first, what's most you know has been most surprising or most interesting for me is uh, that uh, indeed when you uh, when you advise uh, you provide. A, uh, rational, you have something that is very grounded in facts and, and in reasoning based on previous experiences, based on benchmarks. Uh, and actually, you know, real life, uh, when you implement, are uh, not like the benchmark. Yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> most, of the, most of the time, you need to adapt. Yes. Uh, what it means is that concretely, uh, you know, when we are, we are deploying, uh, for example, recently we've deployed uh, uh, some interesting uh, uh, algorithm into uh, one of the key areas of the business. And uh, we see, you know, we built a fantastic like product that really works very well on the test data that work very well in the pilot. And then uh, the challenge is not really about the solution that is actually solid, but it's about the adoption. And uh, and yeah, and when you are talking about a global organization like Carrefour, you have people in uh, in several countries that needs to understand the why and uh, and uh, and why they need to to implement this uh, even though you know they believe that you know, when they do it themselves they do it better so in in this case the algorithm uh, was basically placing recommendation uh, for uh, our uh, marketers on promotion and the challenge with that is that in some cases you know the algorithm might be not as good as a human-made decision. However, the decision process or the 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 end-to-end process takes approximately you know uh, twenty times less time. It's much faster. But making people understand that uh, it's okay to be five percent wrong, but a ninety-five percent right, and it's okay to have that this situation where maybe the algo might not be as good as the human, but being able to free up 20x the time, you, you will make up much more value, create much more value for Carrefour if you dedicate your time to other tasks 
than trying to optimize the last five percent. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and when people you know, say, "Oh, but you know, we are hundred compact, but these five didn't work because you know they are, uh, they were not profitable for us." Yes, we can continue to have the algorithm learn, but guess what? Think about the impact. So, transforming people, making them adopt the solution, has been the mo- the most important challenge, and it took way more time than planned. Uh, and hopefully, in the end, we had very good, very strong support from our executive committee member in charge of this activity to make this happen. But uh, uh, it's something, you know, that worked very well on paper, but took way more time to implement because of the adoption of the solution. And that adoption of the solution, what I'm hearing from you there is that it also is the shift in mindset. It wasn't about the technology it was about the mindset of the data doesn't have to be perfect, and it's the latency or speed to insight in decision making rather than that five percent um, inaccurate or less left. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and also in this kind of situation, you you have to convince people to change the way they have always been operating, to convince them that adopting and delegating some of the recommendation or decision-making process to uh, an analytics engine uh, can de- can deliver more value for them at the end. Uh, and of course, you know, people by design, by default, their default mode is always to try to find a way to justify also, you know, why it should be as it has always been. So the human process to as part of the data transformation is often, too often, I think, for uh, us as, as uh, data, or even more broadly, digital leaders, underestimated in terms of workload, in terms of time to execution. We often, you know, I think most of us is, is this role are engineers, former engineers, uh, and we are driven by facts and reason and data. Uh, and um, actually, that's the difference between being an advisor and being an operator in an organization, is that there are humans behind and it's... Uh, and this role as, as chief data and analytics officer is way beyond the technology. And I would even argue then, uh, you know, it's, a, it's I would say it's like 10% about the technology, 20% about the, the data, but actually 70% of the effort is about the transformation, the adoption, uh, as much at the senior levels that's where I'm trying to play strongly to influence the leaders, to uh, convince them to adopt and, and then work with the team's on, on the floor to have them adopt and being comfortable with new ways of working, new technologies, new models uh, that supporting the way they work. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with that. I think about a comment that the CDO of Visa, Bob Hedges, said to me, he feels like in the industry that too many organizations hire CDOs for their deep technical or data science expertise and really a a good leader, an impactful leader is more coalition builder that knows the business and the strategy. So I do want to come back to that. You described one specific use case of um, pricing optimization. And and I know Carrefour is doing super cool things with Gen AI and tech that we want to we want to get to. But I want to start with how where did you begin did you start with the technology or the business problem statement when you first joined? So I had a great privilege when I joined Carrefour. 
Carrefour has been for the last five years on a journey to, to build what we call a digital retail company. So it's kind of the motto of the CEO. It, we are becoming a digital retail company, meaning that we embed digital as part of every single piece of the operations. Historically, before this CEO, uh, Alexandre Bompard, who is, uh, has joined us five years ago, digital was more a channel, was e-commerce in a way. And, uh, and then you had IT to support the business. And it has been a major shift. And the major shift that happened five years ago is the move to the cloud. The move to the cloud has enabled us to consolidate and build up an extraordinary data asset that I'm benefiting from every day. So we've built uh, the largest uh, Google data lake uh, in Europe and the largest of the industry, of the retail industry in Europe, with uh, over 10 billion transactions located in one single place in uh, for us in a, in a Google Cloud platform. Yeah, a lot of data. Yeah, the foundation is amazing because it's like, you know, you have all this raw material, this gold mine on which you can, you can work. And I think the, the team, the, the tech team that started that has been a bit visionary to make sure that we build up this minimal foundation to get started. And uh, the second thing that has been, I think, very transformational is that uh, just before I joined a couple, two years ago, um, we decided to make a business out of our data. And it changed a bit the paradigm. So, you know, for years, you know, data has been, you know, an asset for the business. So the idea that uh, how do we put data, the service of the business, make it available, etc. The change of paradigm is when we created our mo- data monetization business. So we have now a, a business called Careful Links. It's a special unit uh, to... F- forge much stronger relationship between us and our suppliers. And we are, in a way, selling, monetizing our data to these suppliers. And not only does it like, increase the collaboration with the brands uh, and you know, make the promotion more relevant, uh, make sure that we have the right assortment in store. So there are many side benefits to working much closer to the brands. But most importantly, I think for my team, it sets a bar in terms of the data quality the data requirements, because it's not only for the business as a support, we are selling this data. Yeah. So our duty, because we sell, is to make sure that we have the granularity, accuracy, availability of the data, uh, and that we justify the price paid by the supplier right. behind it. And in a way, what's amazing, it, it creates a business case. It creates, it, it creates a return on investment on the, and data investment. Yes. And this shift in paradigm every day enables me to say, look, we're doing this because there is value. So beyond you know, delivering use cases uh, on which, you know, as most companies do, we build business cases. Uh, we try to justify, you know, the increase in revenue margin, uh, you know, availability of product, whatever, you know, KPI we use internally. On top of that, we have this data monetization business that puts a price on data and also creates a sense that data is a business for us. So when it's a business, then you have business leadership attention to it because you make money out of it. And in most organizations, you know, what, what do you care about is you care about the things that makes money for the organization and at the end you can see the PNL. That's what put, I think, data at an even higher level on the, on the strategy of Carrefour. Right, so that crystallizes your value to Carrefour. We just had um, an author, Barb Wixom, on the previous episode of The Data Chief, 
and we spoke at length about data monetization. And some people use this term very narrowly, selling your data, and some people use it more broadly of using data to improve business operations. So you're using both, but let me ask you, so you're selling your data. First off, where can people buy it? Is it just directly through Carrefour or is it in the Google marketplace or what have you? Where can people subscribe? Together with, with the Google technology and Google Cloud Platform, we've built an environment for us to share our data and it's a collaboration environment in a way between us and the CPG companies. Right. So uh, we've worked with them uh, like a, in a partnership model to define you know, what data matters for them, where do they want us to put the emphasis uh, and, you know, be in a heavily iterative model with them to say like uh, what's the next what's the next frontier where do, where can we collaborate more for example we started uh, with the transaction data of course you know what brands want to understand is what is the, the customer behavior when do we sell what at a very granular level and you know and of course on this business there has been you know a number of players uh, data monetization players like you know Nielsen IRR. IRI, or Kenta, yeah. yeah. So, and they have been for years aggregating data from from suppliers and then as a third party reseller selling the data to the brands. Now they're getting direct access to very granular data from the the, the retailer, which has been game changing, really game changing for them. So this aspect of the, it's not just about selling the data; it's about collaborating because. In, in a way, if you put the best assortment on, on the shelves, if you operate with the right level of inventory in our supply chain, if you deliver us on time, not only you are, as a, as a supplier, you're generating more revenue, but we as well, we make sure that we delight the customers. We make sure that uh, we don't miss a, a sale because, you know, they might go to a competitor to buy the product that they love. So it's a win-win relationship where retailers and the brands and the CPGs uh, can optimize their operation and hopefully we split the value uh, by uh, being just much more efficient in everything we do. And by the way, one thing I wanted to mention as well is that the APIs, the data that we share are used internally and externally. So we, it's not like it's, we improve the dialogue because now more than ever before, you, for example, in a negotiation or, or in a dispute, uh, we are talking about the same facts. So it's much easier. Uh, it removes a lot of friction that we had in the past where, you know, we said, oh, but my data says that, or your data says that. Who is right? Who is wrong? Of course, it's not 100% there, but yeah. uh, we have drastically improved uh, the way we, we collaborate. And we love it because the, we, we have, you know, improved our operation with, with, with that, brands as well. And uh, we've removed a lot of uh, frustration, frictions we have, we've had in the past with many of the big brands. Yeah, and for sure, if you're just sharing data via FTP or you know separate logon portals or PDFs <laughs> that some poor data analyst re-enters into their own spreadsheet system, you're going to debate whose numbers are right. And what right. I like about what you've described is I have advised customers that this data sharing using more modern and intelligent forms of sharing can really create an ecosystem moat. So what you described, the relationship that Carrefour now has with some of your CPGs and optimizing across that supply chain, the right product on time, less spoilage, less stockouts, they're going to want to do more business with you than, say, 
another retailer that is using legacy data processes and they just don't have visibility into how it's performing. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's also the bet, huh? of course. Yeah, so that's awesome. I want to come back to the second point of the data monetization side of the story, though, using the data internally to improve some of these yes. KPIs. So did the organization and particularly, let's say, the leadership team, did they understand the value of data before it was a revenue stream or was that value still hard to articulate as a decision-making tool? Yeah, so that's also the second part on which I'm working very heavily and I'm working on it right now as, as we speak. You know, I was uh, today uh, on, on this topic, uh, spending a, a good portion of my day on this topic already, uh, which is how do we engage a, ma a massive effort to produce high quality data? Because in the end, the data are produced by the business. Uh, as the chief data analytics officer, my role is a bit of a kind of a, I'm the supply chain manager in a way of the data, and I'm trying to get good use of it with analytics. But uh, I don't consider that I own it. I own the data. The data are the property of the business. Each business is, is and must be responsible to produce the data uh, and uh, are the best position to uh, control, uh, standardize, simplify the availability and the accessibility of data. And that's a major paradigm I've been investing most, a lot of my time since I joined Carrefour is how do I put back data at the very top of the, of the priorities of the business? And how do I make it a business topic and not a tech or data topic, yeah. actually? Uh, and, um, and for that, I'm, uh, I've created uh, so that the, the, the technical topic or the, the industry topic behind it is basically data governance. And... As many, many of uh, people in the audience, you know, have experienced, data governance is rarely the hottest topic for the business leader. You know, they Never. love to talk, uh, <laughs> especially right now. Uh, I want, they want to talk about AI, machine learning, because, you know, it's really cool. It's new tech. Uh, I was uh, last week at Google Next in San Francisco and, and uh, Gen AI was everywhere. And you, I, I met tons of, uh, of business leaders over there and they are Gen AI, Gen AI, Gen AI. And it's so cool to talk about that and all the presentation was around Gen AI. But guess what? You know, uh, uh, all of that is uh, just gar garbage if you don't invest on your data foundation. So to, to create, and of course, data governance is a bit, sometimes a bit technical. People believe, you know, you have the, all these uh, tools to load the data, data quality monitoring. Uh, it's something that is done, you know, on the data platform by technicians. And I do not feel they are embedded into the process. So truly, truly change this paradigm. I've tried to create an analogy to, to embark them in a the journey. So in my case, everything I I, I've, I've been creating around the business engagement has been around the theme of the data supermarket. The idea that we operate supermarket so for our, it's very easy for my business counterpart to relate to what is a supermarket because we operate. Yes. So maybe my advice is is for every uh, uh, everyone as a, who is a data leader uh, in your audience is find the analogy that works for you. Here's what how we did it. So the idea, you know, we want to make sure that every single business function produce data are responsible for the data. In a way, behind that is the concept of data mesh that is often seen also as, as well as technical. So I never use the word data mesh with the business leaders uh, because I don't want to try to use, like to lend, you know, some business, some non-business terms. 
And the idea behind the data supermarket is that making data available to the business is like operating a supermarket. Uh, it's, you have a supply chain, you know, you know, the data produced in systems, it's a bit like, you know, the, uh, the corn fields or the wheat fields yeah. that produce the data. And then in a way, or shape, in any shape or form, you have transformation chains that make data available. Uh, uh, in a way, it's like a processing, processing plant that transforms, you know, the corn into, I don't know, cornstarch, for example. Uh, and you put that into a bag and you make it available in a data warehouse uh, or data lake. Yeah. I really like the concept of a data supermarket and how you describe it, but it also can sound a little bit overwhelming in knowing the differences between these data products. What is the role that metadata and maybe data catalogs play? Can you dive into that a bit more? What often happens is that, you know, uh, then you, it's great to have this, data, as I mentioned to you, like it's great to have a data lake with a lot of data. Uh, but as soon as you start having a business a person who wants to have access to the data, what does this person do? Uh, she has two options. Either she goes to my team, he or she asks a question, I want to have this data, I want to build this KPI, build this report. And basically, they take the problem they f and they hand over the problem to my team, uh, the data team, to come back with the report, come back with an analysis. And it's great, but you're not very responsible and you just hand over the, the, the responsibility. The alternative, because my team is often overloaded, uh, you say, okay, I'm going to go to the warehouse directly. And guess what? The data warehouse, it's a warehouse, just like a warehouse for us as a, as a retailer. It has never been built for business leaders. Yeah, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. You have all this data. Where yeah. is the data? Where, what is the right data to take? Do I need to take this turnover or this margin or this other margin? And I don't even have you know, a, a driving license for the forklift, you know, to get the data at the top, you know, at five meters above the uh, above the, the floor, because you know I've ne never been trained to SQL, so yeah. I don't know how to get the data out because it's, it requires some technical skills. So what we've built uh, is an extra layer here to make the data available in a supermarket type of format, uh, where the data extracted from the warehouse and made available in a store. And the store, just like a real, a real physical store, you know, it has been built for customers. So it has lays, it has post signs. Uh, when you go into uh, into uh, one of the data area of the of the data supermarket, you have products, data products on the shelf. And what I mean on the shelf is that every single product has a stamp on it saying where it comes from. It, it has a single definition. You have ingredients behind showing you know, how this KPI or this data was created. You have traceability. Uh, you might also have, you know, a quality score. So, for, you know, in a way, it's like a, a nutrition score to say, is it good for health? Is it not good for health? Should I consume it or not consume it? So the idea is to put this data out of the box and make it accessible with a single business definition. So we created, a, a, in a way, a catalog and an interface that is super easy for our business leaders to and, and you, know, you know, business professionals to go through find the data, understand what is in this data in plain English, plain French, plain Italian, whatever language you use. Not, you know, a, a technical field with a, a name of the technical table right. in BigQuery. And this has been the game changer because now you standardize the way the data are labeled. Uh, you understand where it comes from. You can talk about it. We can also massively rationalize the data to say, look, here's the data we want to put on the shelves that are standardized, certified, you can use it. And there's a bunch of data 
that should not be put or because they are not ready or not of the high, uh, right level of quality should not be put available. So in, in this case, we've used uh, the data catalog of Google called Dataplex. It's a, it's a simple like add-on to the Google suite. And we built a, a custom-made, homemade portal on top of it to make it super easy, just like a, a bit of a Google experience to navigate the data, find you know, the, right, the data that you want. Request access to the data in a, in a business type of environment, not like you go to the data field or the data table into BigQuery and request an access to the technician. And sometimes you don't even know who is the technician who can open the access. Right. So the idea is to make it super simple for every single business manager in the organization to find their data and have a supermarket that provides them with the data in a business-oriented fashion. I really like the analogy of a supermarket. I think people can follow that very well um, and understand the nuances of raw data, finished data. And I'm even picturing maybe those prime location end caps in a physical store. Maybe that's your KPI watch list of the most important data that everyone in the company looks at. As you were describing some of the data catalog capabilities, though, Oftentimes, organizations struggle to capture that business metadata, like 30 different definitions of gross margin, or if you have customer loyalty, how you really define the customer or customer churn, many different definitions. How did you actually get people to capture that from the business side. I, I would say technical metadata is easier than business metadata. Maybe you can agree or disagree. And I absolutely, absolutely agree. You know, we've had you know, technical metadata for years yeah. available. However, not very useful in many situations. So what, what we've done is that, um, you know, just like continue with the analogy of the supermarket, I'm not operating the supermarket, actually, the data supermarket. Uh, what I've made very clear from the beginning is that business leaders and their teams operate the supermarket, just like, you know, headquarters function like me. Uh, we don't operate stores. You have people, you have a department, uh, different departments in your store. You have department leaders that lead, you know, allies in the stores that lead the shelves and define what to put on shelves and what works with the client and what doesn't work and, and where should, what should be, you know, at high level, what should be below high level, et cetera, et cetera. So defining the assortment is the responsibility of the business, the, the data assortment that they make available. The key here, uh, it's also like, again, for uh, the professional in the, in the space, that's what it's called data governance and, and data mesh, yes. uh, apply, applying data mesh to the data governance concept, is that we've nominated each of our business data owners that are stewards uh, to own each shelf in the supermarket. So what it means concretely is then as soon as we start you know, deploying a domain, a data domain, so an area of the business that puts the data available. Let's say for the sake of the example, you, you took the example of margin, so the financial data. Uh, we nominated in the organization people in the uh, data owners that are stewards in the business de department, in the finance department, owning the definition of what is a turnover. And, the, and the, you, you took this example of margin, like, like six months ago, we handled the, example, uh, the challenges of turnover. We had 42 definition of turnover at Carrefour. Out. <laughs> 42 ways we were reporting on turnover. And uh, we, we, through this process of saying, okay, guys, we need to you know, start the assortment of the turnover data family. So it's a, a family, basically, it's a group of data within a, a, the financial domain. 
this is a shelf in a way in the store. So where do we start? We're going to start by making sure that we have the minimal in assortment on the, on the shelves. What is the minimal, minimal assortment on, on for turnover? Let's look at what is available and, and try to shrink the assortment to this uh, minimal set. So we went from 42 to 10 definitions that are written in plain English, plain French, plain Italian, whatever language, available in the, uh, that are written and uh, you can searchable on our data supermarket, linking the, these 10 definitions with existing KPIs that were using these definitions to, to create, for example, the inventory turnover in our, our, our product performance, uh, product sales in our stores. We created and put on the shelf dashboards, which are in a way, you know, uh, an advanced data product that are referencing this KPI, which are referencing this raw data. And the idea is to put on shelves every single data-driven element that you created. Just like in a store. In a store, you can find, you know, tomatoes, which are kind of the raw product. You can find tomato sauce, which is, in a way, KPI is yeah, kind of a transform. You add some basil in it, mm -hmm. some salt, etc. So it's, a, it's pre, it's, it's in a can, it's a different format. And you can also buy, by the way, in our store, you can buy in the fresh area, you can buy pizza. Fresh pizza, ready of the oven, you, you buy it and you consume it, which in a way, in my analogy, it's a, it's a bit like the, the dashboard, which are ready to consume. You want to make sure you connect all these elements that you're aware that, you know, to build this, this pizza, you have all these, the, these ingredients that come in it. It's, there is a traceability, auditability. And by the way, uh, when you start talking traceability, auditability, it's music to the ears of the financial people because that's, they are very concerned about being able to justify the numbers. So, um, For sure. and same thing, you know, when you start talking about uh, supply chain information to, to the CPG for the data we monitor, they want to understand that, you know, all the traceability, the transformation uh, that happened until they got their KPI. So being able to justify everything from the root to the final, the finished good is absolutely essential to create trust in the data that you deliver and in the report you create and in the KPIs you produce. So true. And going from 42 to um, 10 is profound improvement. And even though I kind of expressed shock at 42, um, I hear from so many customers, 33 different definitions of margin or customer turn or what have you. Well, Sebastian, we have to come back to generative AI <laughs> because also Carrefour is early here. And so I'd like you to describe uh, one of the first use cases that Carrefour has launched using generative AI. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so generative AI has been um, a bit uh, taking every, everyone, including me, as a surprise. You know, when uh, ChatGPT uh, entered kind of the public domain, it has been here you know, for five years. You know, they're talking about uh, this kind of ability in, in organization. People were doing proof of concepts in some areas, uh, but it, it became mainstream in November last year when. Uh, ChatGPT made it available to everyone. It was a game changer. Uh, and uh, as soon as we, we got that, the idea is how do we get started? Because, uh, you know, uh, I, I, to be honest with you, we didn't even pl plan a budget for it. Yeah. So, like we, yeah. It was not even on the radar as a priority for 2023. So uh, to, to get started, uh, we figured out that we needed to be fast and be ready to experiment. So there were a few things that were critical for us to get started, and I, kind of, I think uh, that served us well. And number one is we rapidly took 
ChatGPT under our arm and went to business leaders to show them what the capability of the tool and have them imagine uh, what the future could be with a ChatGPT type of capability. And so we purposefully decided not to listen to the data scientists, not to my team, not to me, as uh, or what, would, what I thought they could do with it, but try to understand what it would trigger as ideas from the business. And that was super interesting because our business leaders were super excited. They generated tons of ideas of how about I could automate that? How about I could just, just eliminate this activity and delegate this to a chatbot? Uh, and we had so many ideas that we had to start to, to triage a little bit how we wanted to do things. And we, we defined like kind of three buckets of things. A number of things were around productivity, uh, removing your know, day-to-day tasks, you know, office tasks, etc. that were you know, often not the most fun tasks, but kind of mandatory. Uh, and we figured out that very quickly, the tech companies on the market, you know, the Microsoft, the, the Facebook, the, the Google of the world, uh, would come up with the right technology here. So, and we, it proved us right because, you know, uh, like not, uh, last week, a uh, massive announcement from Google around uh, uh, Duet AI. Yes. Uh, the, M- Microsoft did that earlier in the summer with Copilot. Uh, so we decided purposefully to say, okay, great ideas, but, you know, we won't dedicate any time to this. So we decided to dedicate 5% of our time on this because we knew it would come to us automatically. Yeah. Yeah. So let's not do that. Then the second bucket came around uh, this massive disruptive ways of operating the retail business, which are really cool. And so we decided to put some uh, a first coin in the machine uh, with a chatbot uh, that we built rapidly in a few, in like five, six weeks and made available on our website in France. Uh, this chatbot is called Opla. You can basically try it. It's a, you have uh, to be on the carrefour.fr website. It's a chatbot that enables to totally change the way you shop. Historically, what you do, you know, you, you, you have a, a grocery list and you, want, you go on the website and say, how about I buy this tomato sauce, this pizza, uh, this uh, uh, set of, this uh, volume of, ca- of cabbages, whatever, you know, you, you have your list. And the idea is that, in, the, in reality, you know, when you shopped in Carrefour, you don't shop for products. You want to shop for f- menus you will deliver to, to your family uh, at home. And uh, the idea behind the chatbot is that you interact with the chatbot, uh, explaining, you know, who you are, uh, what you want. So let's say I want to be, uh, I, I want to have five dinners for next week. Uh, we are a family of four. We have two kids of uh, approximately of this age. To, so that they understand, you know, what kind of volumes that you need. Uh, and you start interacting, saying, like, by the way, two of us are vegetarian, uh, and uh, we love this kind of food, etc. And we loaded into chat, uh, into chat GPT, in this case, the uh, set of uh, recipes from, uh, from a third-party website uh, with kind of all-encompassing set of recipes. And then you have an interaction with a, with a chatbot to talk with the chatbot about what you want to eat. And then automatically it creates an order list, a shopping list, and automatically triggers a search in our search engine for, on the website and puts on the, in the cart the food you need. Massive change in interaction, way less time to create your basket, which is, by the way, for those who are retailers in, the, in this uh, podcast, 
the key because there is a very strong correlation between the time you take on an e-commerce website and the purchasing uh, order. So, and often, you know, with, big, with Carrefour, it's big carts. So you abandon your cart in the middle because it, it took way more time. You got inter interrupted by your kids who ask you questions and then you off, you off and you disconnect. That sounds awesome. Can't wait to try it. You used a very specific word that I think is important to call out when you first talk to the business people, and that was imagination. And I have said this yes. time in our industry, we are limited mainly by our imagination. And that is where I think it's important for teams, business teams with their data and AI leaders to do these imagination workshops and go back for the yes. opportunity. I want to do a hard pivot, Sebastian. Uh, it's been a great conversation, yes. but let's do a quick lightning round. So fill in the blank, yes. data is? Data is the way to make us much more efficient and, and strengthen the way we do everything, uh, I think, in our life. Generative AI is? It's a game changer to make us more efficient and focus on, on where I think the human is best, is as you mentioned, creativity, solving tough business problems, and much less time on mundane tests, tasks, uh, and time-consuming activities that do not require a lot of human creativity. Great. And one final question. You can choose, depending on your mood at the moment, either what are you most grateful for, maybe beyond, of course, the obvious health and family, or something that has totally made you laugh out loud recently, tears running down your cheeks, chuckle. I'm really grateful to be in 2023 in a, in a, in a world where we see digital being such a transformative uh, aspect of everything we do. In our daily life, we see the impact, but also in, in organizations. And what I'm really lucky is that is that I have a, a team working with me every day, super passionate about what they do. Retail is, of course, an exciting uh, industry, like touches everybody uh, 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 in our families and friends. But most importantly, applying that uh, with uh, applying data to with, with passionate colleagues, for me, it makes my life uh, and my, my, you know, the, the, the hours I put in the office so much more interesting to have especially people around me. Well said, Sebastian. Thank you for being on The Data Chief. Thank you very much for seeing me in the show. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, Give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. 
Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.